Listen now to The Proof Podcast Season 2, The Murder at the Warehouse. How'd you find out something had happened? My mom called me and said, Lori, the police found a body, and they're pretty sure it's Renee. Right, right away, you thought right Jake. Right away. In my head already, I thought it was Jake. Season 2 of Proof is available now, wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, Laurie, can I get you to come back here and open the gate? Okay. Hang on a sec. All right, let's go. A big day planned and underway. My first face-to-face with police, and a trip to Pilot Mountain later. But first, Lori and I stop in at Angel's ex-boyfriend, Chris Dawson's place, to ask a few clarifying questions. Hey! hey. Surprise! Hey! Hi. Hey, uh, Just wanted to chat with you if you had a two seconds. Alright, do you want me to come up there? Yeah, come on in. Chris joins us at the bottom of a set of stairs. He may have just woken up, but seems okay for the chat. I want to see if there's any more details I can get about the last time he says he saw Angel. Do you remember what she was wearing? Not really, I don't... She was just wearing jeans, sweater, I think. And did you tell the police uh, the same story? Do you remember telling them the same thing over and over again when they were asking you? Yeah. And you said they polygraphed you, right? Four times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Chris, when police were interviewing you, did you get the idea that they thought you might have been a suspect in the thing? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think... I got polygraphed so many times. Yeah. Did you feel that people treated you different? Uh, they're all skeptical about me. I know I was a bit abrasive, but I'm always a bit abrasive. I hope you know I didn't mean no judgment. I just... My own emotions. Yeah. It's okay, I understand. wasn't very good though. Rough times. Did you guys ever go out of town? Like out, out, out of city limits? Oh, not that I know of, no. Like to party or hang out? No. Pilot Mountain for sure now, eh? Yeah. Are there times that you think about her more? Oh, I think about her every day. Yeah, me too. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlick Case, Episode 3, The Saddest Song in the World. Hey, Mike. It's going well. Nice to meet you. Yeah, same. How nice to see you face to face. I've met with RCMP Corporal Mike Simpson outside of the RCMP HQ in downtown Whitehorse. I've been talking on the phone to Simpson since around late 2020 about the murder of Angel Carlick. Maybe hearing details of the police investigation into her case will help me answer some of my questions. I thought you were going to be a little younger myself. Oh, well. In his 50s, fit and clean-shaven, with short grey hair, 
Simpson projects a sense of quiet care about Angel's case, though he's only been assigned to it for about two years. So I had uh, Alex and he had two of his friends. One was Chris Dawson. Okay. So he said he was polygraphed. He was polygraphed, uh, multiple, I believe. You guys are satisfied that he was... Yeah, well, uh, I think everyone remains a suspect uh, completely, yeah. but uh, yes, he's not a person of interest to me anyways, so... Yeah. yeah. Um, so Angel's ex-boyfriend, Chris Dawson, is no longer front and center for Corporal Simpson. I'm liking his openness to sharing so far. In the past, RCMP were key to colonial efforts and the brutal treatment of Indigenous people. RCMP investigations of Indigenous cases in particular have been shown to lack in accountability, transparency, community consultation. I'm not sure what exactly Simpson has been doing on Angel's case, but I am hoping that working with him will lead to somewhere productive. Yeah, just follow me and the interview room unfortunately is in the back. Simpson leads me down a few nondescript hallways past racks of gear stuffed into blue canvas bags to a back corridor of interview rooms. Inside one of them, a couple of basic couches and a low table. Tell me what you know about Angel's timeline. Let's start with that. In the month of May 2007, um, Angel was in the midst of graduating high school and I think she had already gone to uh, Native graduation ceremonies and then about a weekend she had gone to, uh, I think, a barbecue uh, up in Kwanwendan First Nations. So from there she leaves, actually it was May 26th, and then she leaves there going headed downtown and uh, she sees numerous people along um, Main Street on May 26th. I'm hoping to find people in the community who might remember these parties or barbecues. What time of day was that when she was? kind of in the evening. Okay. According to RCMP, Alex told them at the time that he remembered seeing Angel at the 420 park sometime between 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. This aligns with what I have heard from Alex. And Chris Dawson's statement to the police at the time says he last saw Angel at the 420 park around 7 p.m. on May 26th. One fragment of information that hasn't gone anywhere yet but that I will put out there in hopes it might, police suggest that Angel may have had a camera with her on the day she disappeared. A camera that Alex, when I asked him, says he doesn't remember anything about, and one police have never seen. Last sighting, sort of later evening, not... You know, not super late. I don't think it went into the 27th or anything like that. Of course, daylight, it's extended up here. So, and she's kind of last seen with two uh, unknown, whiter, um, just what was quoted, whiter looking um, younger males. Angel was allegedly seen sometime around 9 p.m. on May 26, 2007, walking away from Main Street near a place known locally as the Pyramids, with these two whiter-looking males. The pyramids are actually part of a newer office building just a block from LePage Park. The 420 Park, LePage Park, and the pyramids are all a short walk from each other. 
Probably the whole circuit could be done in 15 minutes, and it appears that Angel was circulating in this area when she disappeared. I make it known to Corporal Simpson that I would like to speak to the eyewitness who provided this information about the two men, as it may be crucial. Simpson says he will ask the witness, and adds that police were never able to determine if this encounter occurred just before Angel disappeared. And then, um, for me, uh, after May 26, kind of any sightings of her really try to drop off. Beyond that, I can't find any sort of verified sightings after that time. So for me, May 26 seems to be sort of last known sighting of Angel. And then uh, about a week later, uh, she was reported missing because her mother was also worried. And they began a missing person investigation at that time. Simpson says that Angel was first reported missing to police on May 31st but that another police officer had claimed to have seen her the day before that on the 30th, so the investigation seems to have concluded there and then. The timing and the content of this alleged sighting of Angel on May 30th is unclear. I don't know if this police officer saw Angel or why he claims to have done so at that timing, but this alleged sighting affected the start of the investigation at a crucial time. Days pass, then, on June 5th, Angel is again reported missing, and Simpson says the investigation reopens. Police also received multiple tips of sightings of Angel in Western Canada, which Simpson says were followed up. And he says that on June 11th, the investigation continued with a major case management approach. Um, you know, I, I can't speak totally for the investigators. Essentially, they started with the people that... Uh, had known her, I mean, relationships with her, you know, family members, which is kind of the process of how you do these things. And then they worked outwards, where it's continued to be. But um, with this investigation, just my perception and, and continue to be my sort of um, limitations is that uh, we're just missing what I call those pieces of evidence that kind of are your markers, kind of point you, really strongly start leading you. Beyond people of interests, more into suspects. Uh, what about Colin Serenko's case? Because I've heard that there's a connection Angel allegedly saw Colin getting beaten was one of the rumors, and yes. therefore something. And then that was a week before the timing of Colin's beating to death at the Riverside, right? Mm -hmm. That's where he was killed. Colin Serenko was brutally murdered along the bank of the Yukon River on May 24, 2007, within days before Angel was last seen. Alex says that he was approached by someone who told him that Angel had witnessed the deadly beating, suggesting that that's why she went missing. What have you found about Colin Serenko? I'm aware of those rumors and continue to hear them. Uh, there is nothing both investigators in the past and myself to suggest there's any um, connection there. And I believe they did have someone of strong interest in that matter, just not to speak for the investigators there, but they were just never able to lay a charge there. But there's no connection of Angel Carlick to that case that we see at this time or, and in the past. But yet the Serenko case is still un, unprosecuted or unsolved. Unprosecuted, yes. Unprosecuted, yes. Yeah. Um, and I, yes, I think it may remain that way for various reasons. So. 
Not much has been revealed by police to anyone, including family members over the years, about where and how Angel's remains were found. Any revelations here, I believe, could be potentially crucial in helping to find who killed her. I asked Corporal Simpson to start from the beginning of what happened on November 9th, 2007, the day Angel was found, just over four months after she disappeared from downtown Whitehorse. There was an individual, um, he was walking his dog, a community member in a suburb, I guess is the best way to say it, the Pilot Mountain subdivision, which is about 20 minutes out of town. And the dog didn't come back to him, and uh, when he called him, he kind of noticed uh, the dog was interested in something, and then uh, when he went to have a closer look, he realized he should call police, and then um, the police attended RCMP, and um, once we short the remains, later verified to be of Angel Carlick. There was a lot found, unfortunately, and then that turned into a homicide investigation or suspicious death investigation, which continues to this day. So that's really essentially sort of the, uh, the crux of it. Is the actual classification homicide or suspicious death? I say, yeah, that's a good question. I say more homicide. We don't know the cause of death, but certainly something that demands further attention, right? It's just we don't have that, those pieces of information about what happened and how she died. I would tend to suspect that uh, however she passed away occurred elsewhere from where her remains were found. I'd like to see the location where Angel was found as soon as possible. Was she concealed, and how, and was any relevant DNA found? Police calling Angel's case both one of suspicious death and homicide seems an equivocation that means the same thing. But the details matter. The facts matter. So is that Pilot Mountain right there? Uh, yeah, I, yes, I would say it is. Feels definitely apart from Whitehorse. Police have never shown anyone where Angel was found before, but Corporal Simpson agrees to take me out to Pilot Mountain. You know, there's more houses here now than back then, but uh, a lot of it remains. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. The northern sun hitting my face makes me wonder about the light that would have been available at the end of May when Angel disappeared. Would it have ever gotten dark? Yeah, this is quite close to summer solstice. Uh, There is a little bit of darkness, but um, but, uh, some people would say it's more like dusky, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that the daylight at the time, sort of at the darkest point, would be dark for maximum two hours, would we say? Seems a very short window indeed for any undertaking involving concealing a body in the open without being seen. But then I don't yet know the layout of where we're going. We turn off the main highway about 25 minutes out of downtown Whitehorse and then a short time later onto Springer Road, which forms the backbone of the Pilot Mountain subdivision. There we go, Pilot Mountain subdivision. Yeah. 
Along this road, I can see some driveway entrances to homes that nestle unseen on larger acreages, and crossing the road ahead, some power lines. Corporal Simpson soon pulls off and stops on a patch of sand underneath them. So we are going to hike up there. Okay. On either side of us, gigantic wooden towers loom and march off in the distance for many kilometers along a 30-meter-wide swath that's been cut through thick spruce and pine. The cut and these electrical towers were made about 35 years ago to service the area and other remote communities further up and down the Alaska and Klondike highways. Recent rains have soaked the rough access path that runs underneath it all. So it's going to be a bit muddy here. So we're going to go up about a kilometer, and then we're going to go into the woods for a little bit. We start walking past colorful stands of fireweed along the path and delicate blooms of Calypso fairy slipper orchids in the cleared spaces around the towers. The vibrance of bees and dragonflies and butterflies everywhere. An infusion of pine and reindeer moss in the air. But how did Angel come to be here? And was this house here, do you know? That one? I think it was, yes. There's just a few houses, and even fewer are visible through the trees on either side of us. At the time of Angel's disappearance in 2007, it's estimated there were about 50 single-family homes in the subdivision. Not a lot of physical change, despite the few new places that have been built here since then. There's some interesting orchids up in this area. Oh, okay, right. I just try to think of all the kinds of people that would have been here 10 years before kind of thing. And what were they here for? You know, maybe nature people taking pictures, yeah. maybe hikers, people putting this line in, gathering wood. I noticed that the few properties I can see seem to have winding backyard trails through the trees that lead out to this cut, all posted with no trespassing signs. Some of these dwellings were here in 2007, and I remember seeing a couple of these roofs in an aerial police photo taken on November 10, 2007, the day after Angel was found. In that photo, I can also see a dusting of snow on the ground and police and forensic vehicles parked in a neat row under the power lines, everything else obscured by the trees. Okay, and you guys canvassed all these houses? We did, yeah. And no, nobody saw anything? Um... Nothing really, there was a few sort of things. You know, when people talk about a truck. A tan-colored 1970 or 1980 Chevrolet truck was seen on the access road near the location of Angel's remains in the weeks after Angel disappeared, but before her remains were found. Simpson tells me the witness thought they saw three people inside and at least one of them was indigenous. He also tells me that they stuck in the witness's mind as they felt intimidated looking at them. Beyond that, the tip betrayed no other information, and nailing down a specific date of this sighting between the time Angel disappeared and six months later when she was found is difficult. Well, I might try to knock on a couple of these doors and see what people say. Whoa. Yeah. Like I said, it's pretty muddy here. 
How many times have you been up here? Uh, about six. Yeah. You find something new each time or think of different things each time or do you surprised about anything? Um, yeah, it kind of brings, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it brings things in the kind of focus. Did you map out after the discovery of Angel's Remains, was it ever mapped out if anybody suddenly left Pilot Mountain? Uh, yeah, yeah, some follow-up. Um, people do move around here, but um, I don't know if they specifically tracked everyone. I know there was movement here, even the individual that uh, called us, the dog walker. He's, of course, since moved. We are here. After about 30 minutes of walking in from the main road, Simpson has stopped at a rough entrance to a grassy trail off the power cut. It's noticeably darker down the trail, even in daytime, and the spruces seem to lean in from both sides as it winds off into the woods. But this entry seems big enough for a vehicle to pull in, the first one I've seen wide enough along our route. It's also just after where all the private property lines end. Simpson has gone silent, and I follow him in. A few hundred feet, and the trail peters out at an area that I see at some point in the past must have been cut, probably for firewood. Well, you can see a tree cut down here with yeah. a saw. Like that's, yeah, and that's cut down. I can see the remains of a scattering of neatly sawn stumps cut long enough ago that lichens have begun to grow on the flat parts. Interestingly, there are no new cuts. So at some point, the woodcutting stopped here. Did you look into the wood gathering theory or angle? Did you look at who used to be up here wood gathering? Or, I mean, they did at the time. I, yeah, you know, it did. I know. Um, Speaking one of the previous investigators, they did look at the angle, but um, you know, it um, again, I think um, you know, no specific names were kind of mentioned. Simpson beckons as he turns off into the woods off trail, and I carefully follow for a short while. Then he stops again. Yeah, so this is the area. That area right there. The hair on my neck stands up as Angel's presence moves around me. She was here. This is where Angel was brought. She could not have come here on her own. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. 
Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Corporal Simpson and I are standing in another area with a few of the cut stumps. Same vintage lichen. Simpson has gestured to a pile of logs over a depression in the ground. The remains of a deep hole. The logs were placed by police, Simpson says, to keep people from falling in. This was no shallow grave. So how deep was the hole estimated to have been dug? Yeah, I think four feet to six feet, if I recall. It was what I would define the grave. So. Any, any sort of positioning you could get? Was she positioned in any way that you could discern? You know, I know um, it wasn't a case where you had uh, you know, full remains so that you could kind of tell, but uh, like I said, numerous things were located uh, around this area. Articles um, of clothing and things? Or? Some articles of clothing, some other items. Uh, remains of, of Angel were located around this area. Was there identification found here? Wallet, money? Oh, uh, no. The hiker's dog had found Angel after she had been dug out of this hole, likely by a larger mammal such as wolves or a bear. The few remains of Angel were found scattered in the hole and throughout the area. Simpson says what was found showed forensic evidence of marks made by whatever dug her out of the ground, but no evidence of how Angel died. How long would it have taken someone to dig this grave unnoticed? I think it must have taken a while. Lots of effort. Yeah, there was effort. I think you can say that. Whoever did this didn't expect she would ever be found again. That is my belief as well. Speaking as an investigator, no disrespect, but it always struck me as this sort of a, uh, like a good place, like it's kind of open here, yet there's trees around you, right? Uh, There's cover. You're not very far, of course, from from the path that we just walked up. So digging to four to six feet in this soil, what's the minimum amount of time you think it would take if one person was digging this hole? Yeah, it's hard to say, but definitely not minutes. It would yeah. probably be two hours, if not more. Again, try to put yourself sort of in their shoes. One of the things that would slow me down is I would probably be watching. So that might slow me down. I don't know. Just seeing if, you know, there was anyone around, which we haven't seen anyone here. And, but it would take some time. Yeah, it's not... I think anyone who's dug a hole would probably appreciate... It takes some effort. But quite possibly in that situation, you have adrenaline flowing, I would imagine. Yeah, I think so. In this moment, it strikes me that Corporal Simpson and I are talking about the same thing without saying it. We're talking about more than one person being involved. The effort to get in here, the effort in the digging, the being careful. So you think guys, eh? You think men. Um, more than one, yes, men, and more than one. And when there's two, you know, the story goes, the, 
the silence is harder to keep. To... Mm -hmm. Is your inkling that the people are still alive or persons? Um, I do think yes, or at least some. Bringing Angel to this location tells us much about the perpetrator or perpetrators. She was brought here for a reason. Not to the Yukon River that runs through Whitehorse, not to a roadside or the woods just outside of Whitehorse, but here. I ask Simpson what the location might tell him about the profile of the person or people who did this to Angel. I think it's someone who was able to slow things down and kind of think about what happened and what they needed to do to sort of get out of that situation. You know, you said it, I think, earlier when walking up, I think inclination in a lot of cases would just kind of leave the deceased and run, in which we've had many cases that I worked on like that. But this, you know, requires some planning, some preparation, you know, where to go and then how to get there, how to conceal the the deceased so they're not seen to get them here obviously there's no specific path that leads you know no road that leads right here it's yeah. not far away but yeah. Yeah. so they had some ability to really kind of think about what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it right this strikes me as someone who's able to slow things down despite i would imagine you know kind of being in a stressful situation mm -hmm. but this is unusual you know, in the sense that she was placed here. That, that, is, that is not as common as you think. This specific spot, you're thinking about why here, so. Well, the estimation must be that they've been here before. Mm -hmm. And you don't randomly find this spot, I don't think. I think in the, this area. I think the percentages are pretty high on that assumption. Yes. I'm certain that this location has more secrets to divulge and I'll be back. But for now, I make my way out of the woods with Corporal Simpson to begin our walk back to the car. On the way out, I suggest to Simpson the notion of a reward fund that Quanlin Dunn Chief Doris Bill mentioned, and he felt that while RCMP do not normally work with rewards, that in this case, it could be worthwhile. And I also suggest that Simpson use a cadaver dog that he is bringing up to the Yukon for another case to search through these woods as well. And he said he would. Any additional remains or clothing that could be found could offer important clues such as hair or fiber information or even towards manner of death. As we near the car, I try to encapsulate something about my suspicions and, I think, his regarding the perpetrator or perpetrators. So you, I, we talked about this, I just want to verify. Like, I'm going to be pointing at the Pilot Mountain area and saying high percentage chance the person's around here somewhere. Do you think that's an accurate statement to make? Mm -hmm. like yes, uh, they had been at one point. Uh, they had been here or, or yeah, they're there, yeah. So may still be. However or, you want to phrase it, they definitely yeah. knew yeah. this area. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's stretched to say they may have lived here at one point, but yeah, or had a connection. Yeah. So. Continue on Springer Road for 800 meters.
So I'm here, and if you don't want at any time to continue, just let's just turn around. Okay. I don't, there's no reason that we have to force you or force yourself or force ourselves through this. In 400 meters, you will arrive at your destination. It's a good <clears throat> kilometer walk. I can do it. I can do it for Angel. It's the next day. In all of my work in Unsolved Murder, I have been a means of travel into the dark places for friends and family of victims. Midnight drives to nameless roads, delicate forays through unknown forests, revisiting a neighborhood that has long forgotten the horror that it once hid. It's overwhelming for me to dwell on it all, overthink, and better dealt with by continuing to move forward. And I'm doing that now with Laurie Strand who says this is something she must do, and so I do it with her. Here we are. This is the power cut. Mm. We're going that way. That way? Yep. Did you guys both walk up this way or yes, did you guys drive? Yes, we walked up here. Okay. Yeah. We could drive all the way down, but I think the walk-in is a little more memorial. part of the kind of preparation journey. The morning sun's nice, though. You all right? Yeah. Okay. When she was missing, my mom and I would always pray that we'd find her before the snow fell. So the snow would fall, then she'd be hidden for another season. I have a little bit of a mental block uh, of that day. Um, I was doing dishes with my mom, and then the RCMP called on my cell phone. And she said that they found Angel, and I remember telling them, I'm on my way into Whitehorse and it was a really bad snowstorm and my parents said, no, we'll go in the morning. And uh, yeah, the rest of it's kind of a blur. I had to take Ativan. Um, back then I was having anxiety attacks after she went missing. And yeah. I don't know what those are like. I used to get panic attacks all the time for no real particular reason, apparently. Getting closer. Okay. Lori tells me she wants to cleanse the site with a ceremony, one where she will sing a song. Well, song is, song is medicine, depending on how you sing it. And red was her color of, uh, calling and so when you wear red you're protected by by your ancestors it's a signal of needing guidance so i've got my red hair tie for my head it's <laughs> nice i used to do a lot of work in mississippi and i still do and i talked to one of the big mississippi bluesmen down there willie king who's yeah. actually passed now 
And I said, why do people sing the blues? And he said, you sing the blues to get the blues off you. Okay. <laughs> so you sing yeah. mournful to remove mournful. It makes sense to me. It does. It does make sense. Sing the blues to get the blues off you. That's what he said. We're here. Oh. She was in there? Yeah, so this is the trail that leads down to the woodcutting area. So a car could pull in here and not be seen. I'm gonna put some tobacco down. Do you wanna go first or do you want me to go? Let's go to the woodcut spot first. Okay. I show Lori the stumps and we ruminate that maybe the same group or family used to come here to cut wood, maybe even Christmas trees, that maybe someone remembers this spot from those times as remote, as a place to bring Angel. And you can see the lichen that's on it, so it's been there for a while. You can see this opening and then the trail kind of roughly continues but let's go up here a bit there's a specific tree that i'm looking for here i don't want to get lost on the trail here yep you ready are you yeah, okay i'm good just follow me then you see this diagonal branch here on the ground that's the tree I'm looking for. And if we come up here, and if you stand right here and look this way, those trees are right on top of where she was. Those ones? Yep, right there. <laughs> the ground is still indented. If you come up, you can see which way was her head? I don't know. So sort of where the shovel marks look like they've started here. It's one, two, three, four, five, six. Maybe, maybe six and a half by one, two, Three, six and a half by three of my steps. She wasn't very tall and she wasn't a very big woman. And the officer said that the hole was four to six feet deep. It's deeper than the grave that I was expecting to see. The bear found her. Grandfather bear. almost a pretty location. <sighs> Lori moves further toward the site where Angel was found, and I let her go, not wanting to crowd her process with my presence. 
My ancestors stand with me and protect this area. Evil is no longer welcome. And thanks, I give more tobacco. North, south, east, and west, all four guardian corners. Please watch over. Please provide protection, ancestors. My family will come back and do a better cleansing. sing a song that can't be recorded. Okay, I'll turn off. <laughs> Lori's song cannot be described, except for the title I've given it. It is the saddest song I've ever heard, but one through Lori that has dispelled the heaviness taken the blues off this place as I've learned again today that a human voice can do. And I can see how pretty this location really is, despite what was done. Here, where I think more than one person brought Angel, dug the dirt, laid her down with their filthy hands. Maybe someone very local. That's where I'm going. Finding the people who were last with Angel and searching for anyone from around here who may seem viable. I'm interested in the woodcutting and the lichen and some tips that have come into my inbox. Lori and I leave this place for now in silence, but it's a silence of strength. Someone Knows Something is hosted, written, and produced by me, David Ridgen. The series is also produced by Hadil Abdelnabi and Zaina Salem. Sound design by Evan Kelly. Natalia Ferguson is our transcriber. Emily Cannell is our digital producer. Chris Oak is our story editor. Our executive producer is Cecil Fernandez. And the director of CBC Podcasts is Arif Nurani. If you want to help new listeners discover the show, please rate and review wherever you listen. Find us on Facebook by searching Someone Knows Something or on Instagram at CBC Podcasts. You can hear next week's episode now by searching for the CBC Podcasts channel on YouTube. Or you can hear all seven episodes today by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts, where you can binge the full season ad-free. Just click on the link in the show description. If you're looking for more investigations, check out my other series, The Next Call. Conducted almost exclusively through a series of strategic phone calls, each call dictates how I will investigate cases and follow leads. There are three seasons available to binge listen to now. Find The Next Call on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.